Well, amen, and good morning, church. It's so wonderful to be able to connect with you uh, in this way as we continue to practice quarantine, social distancing, and all those things in light of coronavirus, COVID-19. As we were singing that song, I just... There was a lot that God was stirring in my heart, and I I want to begin just by opening with a word of prayer, and then I'll share some announcements with you, and then we'll dive into our text together. Would you join me in worshiping our great God who fills our lungs with breath so that we might praise His holy name? Let's go to the Lord. God, uh, as I was singing that song and thinking about families singing out in their living rooms or wherever they are, maybe even in their cars in the parking lot today, God, I I just was reminded of the great privilege that we have of being called by your name, the great joy that we have of knowing that a day is coming when all the earth will be filled with your praise, and if we've been rescued by the blood of Christ, if we've turned from our sin and confessed it and are now worshiping not ourselves but Christ. God, we have hope of a sure hope of a future. They're worshiping with people from every tribe and tongue and language and nation. So God, I thank you today, this Mother's Day, for moms who are investing in their children and for moms who have already invested in their children and now their children, God, are raising children of their own. Lord, orient our minds as we prepare to dive into this text this morning. Orient our minds toward eternity and toward the glory of Christ. Remind us uh, that in some unusual days that we we still serve a risen and resurrected King of kings and Lord of lords. God, fill us up today with your Holy Spirit such that we can glorify Christ wherever we find ourselves, in whatever circumstances we are in. God, we want Christ to be praised, for He is worthy of it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. At North Roanoke, we work our way through books of the Bible generally, and currently we're in the book of Hebrews. And we were turning the corner into a section of Hebrews that is, is pretty challenging to preach, and it's, it's a bit challenging to understand. And it's a bit difficult to apply specifically to mothers. Not that we always have to do that, but on Mother's Day, I like to continue to preach wherever I am and apply it in some specific way to moms. And I just didn't feel that that was working well. And so I decided today that instead we would take a look at Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, on the advice of my wife, Stacy. And so I took her advice and said, I'll, I'll do that. That's a great idea. Well, take a look at Ephesians chapter 6 verse 1. So Stacy, happy Mother's Day to you. You do a great job. And to my mom, happy Mother's Day to you. So I want to introduce this text just a little bit before we read it. And I want to remind you that it's written by the Apostle Paul. He's writing to the church at Ephesus and he's writing from imprisonment in Rome. And in his third missionary journey is where he had spent three years in Ephesus training disciples who were then sent out to other churches and they went and planted churches in, in Asia, and as a result, all heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Acts chapter 19, verse 10. Many scholars today believe that this letter was written not just to Ephesus, but really to all the churches in that region, because the letter doesn't seem like many of Paul's letters to tackle any underlying church conflict or moral failure or specific doctrinal threat to the gospel. Rather, it's a, it's a general letter 
written to the church that, that really can address any kind of situation. The letter is a powerful reminder that we are to be united in Christ, living under His Lordship. That unity in Christ requires submission to Him and submission to one another. And so, well, the purpose then of the church is to serve notice to the world that victory has come and is coming through Christ. This, this victory that we have in Christ and that this summing up of all of world history and all the things in heaven and on earth that will happen when Christ returns, the church is supposed to be, in a sense, a preview of coming attractions. If God can take faithless sinners seeking their own glory and turn them into faithful saints submitting to one another in seeking the glory of Christ, then the world will have a witness to what God has already accomplished through the victory secured by Christ on the cross. And so in chapter 4, Paul tells us that he wants the church, he desires that the church would no longer be children, chapter 4, verse 14, but that they would lay aside the old self and that they would put on the new self, chapter 4, verse 24. Rather than grieve the Spirit, they should be imitators of God, chapter 5, verse 1. And not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, chapter 5, verse 11, but rather they should be filled with the Holy Spirit, chapter 5, verse 18. Now this filling of the Holy Spirit expresses itself in five different ways, five participles that we see after chapter 5, verse 18. I'm not going to cover all five today, but the last one is that we would submit ourselves to one another. We see that in chapter 5, verse 21. If you're filled with the Spirit there will be a disposition of mutual submissiveness in the body of Christ. And then beginning in chapter 5, verse 22, he spells out the way that we submit to one another in the Christian home. And we get in the remainder of chapter 5 this, this amazing uh, discourse on what it's supposed to be like in a Christian marriage, the relationship between husbands and wives. And then we turn the corner to chapter 6, verse 1, and Paul says this about children and parents living under the lordship of Christ in the Christian home. The Christian home is supposed to demonstrate the authority of Christ in the lives of the Christians and the power of Christ to make a Christian home unique and distinct from all other homes in the world. Would you hear with me the word of God? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your mother, excuse me, your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I want you to see three things from this passage this morning. First, to display the lordship of Christ in our homes, which is the purpose of the Christian home. It's to display the victory and lordship and authority and rule and reign of Jesus. That's what a Christian home is for. And to display the lordship of Christ in our homes, first, children must obey their parents. Second, children must honor their parents. And finally, parents must foster a Christ-like environment and disciple their children in the home. First, we see in verse 1 that children must obey their parents. Parents. The word children here 
can mean children of any age, but in this context, Paul is using it to speak of children who are being raised in the home. We know that because of what verse 4 says. It's those who are brought up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The reason children obey their parents and must obey their parents is because parents are God's authority in their children's lives. God's desire for the Christian home is that we put the power of the gospel on display and reveal the order and authority of Christ over all things. And this is to be reflected in our relationships in the home. By teaching children obedience, we are preparing our children to submit their lives to Christ as Lord. Did you know that disobedience in children is chronic in our world today? It happens everywhere. And that's not new. In fact, it's happened since the fall. You recall that God created a family. You might say Adam and Eve were His children, in a sense. And in the garden, all He said was, just listen and obey, and everything will go well with you. And their disobedience sent the entire human race into um, decline, into separation from a right relationship with God. So disobedience is not new And in fact, it's the first and fundamental sign of distance from a right relationship with God. And disobedience is therefore a really big deal and it's a big problem. In Romans, Paul includes those who are disobedient to parents alongside of those who are filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, those who are full of envy, and those who murder. And then he he keeps on going. The word obey here is not an option. He doesn't say, children, obey your parents in the Lord when you want to. He doesn't say, children, obey your parents in the Lord on the second, third, or fourth warning. He says, children, don't obey your pa-. He doesn't say, obey your parents when you know, you've finally been manipulated into it. He simply says, children, obey your parents. It's an ongoing command. Children, keep on obeying your parents. Parents, There are no exceptions in the text other than that obedience is to be rendered in the Lord. In other words, this is happening in the context of a Christian home. Christian parents should not, of course, command their children to do something that would violate God's law or that would undermine the image of God in your children. The assumption is that good and proper commands are being made from Christian parents to their Christian children. And when that's happening, children must obey. Now, I want to say something this morning. I recognize that many parents out there tuning in today are raising a child or perhaps children by yourself. Maybe you don't have a spouse with you in this journey, or perhaps you are in a marriage where your husband or your wife is is not yet a believer, but I want you to know, even still, If you are a follower of Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 5.18, God is there with you. Even in the days that you feel alone, you are not alone. And by the presence of the Holy Spirit, He can give you strength and resolve and wisdom to help cultivate obedience in your children. And Paul tells us over in 1 Corinthians 7 that if you'll do that faithfully, it just might end up leading to the salvation of that lost spouse who's not currently helping you. In the home. Verse 1 gives us two motivations for expecting obedience in our children. 
It isn't, by the way, because everyone else is doing it. The world is not expecting obedience from their children. They're tolerating disobedience. They're excusing disobedience. They're covering up disobedience. They're explaining away disobedience. So it isn't because every other family is, is helping their children to grow in obedience. And it's certainly not because it is easy. Matthew Henry said, Godly parents have often been afflicted with wicked children. Grace does not run in the blood. Corruption does. The first time my father ever disciplined me by way of a spanking, I was a little young guy. He put me over his knee. We had a chat. We talked. And he gave me a little pop. And I began to laugh. I laughed at him for spanking me. And my dad right then knew this corruption that comes through Adam runs deep in my son. No, we don't, we don't coach toward obedience because it's easy. We don't keep obedience before our children as a goal because it is easy. Rather, we do it because coaching toward obedience is one of God's primary ways of training children toward godliness. Obedience happens in the Lord. This means that it happens in the sphere of the Lord. When you are expecting obedience in your home, when you hold that out as, as something you want to see materialize in the lives of your children, God meets you there in your parenting and supernaturally begins to work in the heart of a child. God uses your faithfulness as a mom and a dad when it's hard to coach toward obedience to break the will, the will of your child and to mold it instead into a will and a heart for God. When we expect obedience from our children and coach them toward obedience from the heart when they fail, we are positioning them for life and blessing in Christ. Expecting obedience and intercepting disobedience is a major part then of how parents cooperate with the Holy Spirit of God to help prepare their children to see their sinful heart and to then trust in Christ. And once they trust in Christ, we, we continue to expect obedience. In the Palmer household, I give praise. Uh, my son and daughter have professed faith in Christ and are endeavoring to walk with Christ. But guess what? There are times that they still disobey. And when they disobey, those are still opportunities for me to remind them that they need the gospel, that they need the great and lavish grace that is abundantly available for them because of what Christ has done on their behalf. So we coach toward obedience because that's where the Lord meets us in our parenting. It's in the Lord. And then the second motivation for coaching toward obedience in our homes is, do you see it there in verse 6-1? It is right. I mean, it's that simple. It's the right thing to do. Coaching toward obedience is consistent with God's good design for our homes. The obedience of children to their parents is a matter of right or wrong. John Piper once said, Parents who do not teach their children to obey God's appointed authorities prepare them for a life out of step with God's Word, a life out of step with the very gospel that they desire to emphasize. To have God's Word and know God's good design for the home and ignore it is abandoning an opportunity for our children to encounter God through the presence of the Holy Spirit in our home. It's neglecting a major opportunity to help our children learn to walk in the authority of Christ 
from an early age. And I want to I give just a few practical uh, things that, that we've done in the Palmer household that have helped in this area of coaching toward obedience, and perhaps they'll be helpful for some listening today as well. The first thing is you've got to define obedience properly. The word obey here actually is the word to listen or to hear. It, it means to listen and to obey. So in the Palmer household, and I tested my, my son and daughter, we were in the car earlier this week, and I asked Elizabeth, I said, hey, what is obedience? And, and I wanted to see if she could still give me the right definition. And then later in the week, I did the same thing with Samuel, and he was able to spit back out this definition. This is how we've defined obedience in the Palmer household. Obedience is listening and obeying with a happy heart the first time. Obedience is listening and obeying with a happy heart the first time time. Second, after we define obedience, we've got to make the connection between love and obedience. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. The reason we coach our children toward obedience is because we want our children to love us and because we want them to learn that the way you express love for another is through obedience. By expecting obedience from our children, we're training them in how to love Christ himself. Thirdly, we, we recognize that disobedience is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to reveal the status of our heart and our need for the gospel. Paul David Tripp says this, Parents, if your eyes ever see or your ears ever hear the sin and weakness of your children, it is never an accident. It is never a hassle. It's never an interruption, it's always grace. When your children disobey, it's an opportunity to show them their need for a loving and gracious God who can heal their heart and give them new desires and affections for Him. So don't, don't excuse away the disobedience of your children. Don't explain it away. Don't try to cover it up or ignore it or be embarrassed by it. See it as a holy opportunity to speak the life and truth of the gospel into the lives of your children. Secondly, children must honor their parents. Children must honor their parents. We see this in verses 2 and 3. In verse 2, we get our second command. Honor and keep on honoring your father and mother. Paul quotes from the fifth commandment found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. This commandment is like a hinge between the first four commandments and then the remainder of the commandments because it, the first four are all about our obedience directly to God, our worship of God. And then the, the remaining commandments after the fifth commandment are really about our relationship with one another. But this commandment to honor our parents sort of stands in between because parents are to be honored in a sense in the place of God because they are mediating the will of God to the entire household, so says Moritz in a profound mystery. In other words, children in the home must obey parents, but children of all ages are to honor their parents. So moms, grandmothers, great-grandmothers, we honor you not just this Mother's Day, but every day. Honor means more than a respectful attitude. It also means providing care for our parents in their later years. We know this because 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, Paul says this to the church. He says, Honor widows who are widows indeed. But then listen to this. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, 
they must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return to their parents, for this is acceptable in the sight of God. In the Old Testament, the honor that is given to parents is a really big deal. Exodus 21.17 says this, He who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. Those who dishonor their parents are dishonoring the Lord who gave them parents. As a pastor, one of the great blessings that I've had here at North Roanoke has been to see sons and daughters who step up and love and cherish their parents in their later years. This is a witness to the watching world that life in Christ is different. We're going to value human life until its very end. It's an example of the gratefulness to God that we have because He gave us parents that allow us to live the lives that we live. Of course, we don't have to wait, right, to honor our parents when, they're, uh, when the effects of aging are having their impact in their lives in their later years. As children in the home, we honor with obedience with a happy heart. As children outside of the home, while our parents are still maybe active retirees or late in their career, we honor them by not trashing their faults and their flaws in front of our own children. That's a tendency I've noticed. We, we always grow up with parents, and we see some things in our parents that we'd rather not replicate in our life. And we can end up living our entire life trying to run away from the the one or two negative things we may have seen in our parents, rather than living our lives for the glory of Christ. Our motivation in life is not to not be my dad or to not be my mom. My motivation is to live for the glory of Christ and to honor my parents because God gave them to me. We also honor our parents by putting our Heavenly Father first. The reason parents raise children to love Jesus is to be launched out in the power of the Holy Spirit to follow and faithfully pursue Jesus Christ wherever He leads. So one of the greatest ways that you could honor your mom or your dad is to live for Jesus. Wherever Jesus takes you, wherever He leads, you'll go. What a testimony to our moms and our dads who raised us up and poured the gospel into our hearts. If you had a mom or a dad who did that, What a great witness to the watching world to take what they poured into your heart and then to go out and live that out in your career or as a missionary or as a pastor, whatever your vocation, whatever your calling, to honor your parents by taking all that gospel that they poured into your heart and going wherever God takes you to pour it into someone else. Those who extend honor to their parents get a promise. We learn in verse 3, it will go well with them, and they will have a long life on the earth. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, I've known people who've honored their parents, and they were sent to war, or some other tragedy happened, and they didn't have a long life on the earth. This is a, this is a promise that is ultimately obtained in the new heavens and the new earth, right? No matter your age, no matter uh, when you die, if you die in Christ honoring your parents, then it will go with, well with you. Not just in the land, as is promised in Exodus chapter 20, but Paul changes the language here and says, in the earth. In other words, there's coming a day when all who are honoring their parents, but out of respect and love and honor for Christ, they will stand with Christ forever in the new heavens, in the new earth. It will surely go well 
with them. So we must obey our parents. We must honor our parents. And then finally, now that we've seen commands to children, then in verse 4 we get a command, actually two commands that are given to parents. We see in verse 4 that parents must foster a Christ-like environment and disciple their children in the home. In this final verse, Paul turns his attention from the responsibilities of children to obey and honor to the responsibilities of parents. At North Roanoke Baptist Church, we have a fantastic children's ministry with all sorts of opportunities. We've got Sunday school and kids worship and Wednesday night programming. And these are wonderful things. And Lynn Wampler, our children's minister, is a wonderful resource for some of the things I'm about to say going forward. And here's what I want you to see in verse 4. While the church and the stuff that happens in the building is important in the discipleship of your child, there's also an aspect of discipling our children that has to take place in the home. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and Ephesians chapter 6, the Old Testament and the New Testament, both show us that parents are called to be the primary disciplers of their children. In verse 4, Paul specifically addresses fathers rather than fathers and mothers, not because mothers aren't important, but because fathers are supposed to step up and be the spiritual leaders of their homes. Now, understand, this doesn't mean moms don't have a role. In fact, in the Palmer household, I am spending many hours investing in the discipleship of a church family, and so much of the day-to-day discipleship that happens in the lives of our children is coming from my bride, Stacy. And yet, we consult and talk about the resources that we're going to be using and what they're going to be going through. So, Paul addresses fathers as a way of addressing the entire household. We know that moms are important because in the life of Timothy, Paul's son in the faith, he commends his grandmother and his mother, Lois and Eunice, for their investment in his life. The first command given to Christian parents and guardians to to have this discipleship take place, the first command, thing that must happen is we must not provoke our children to anger. Now I want to clarify something. This does not mean that we don't discipline. We've already covered that in verse 1. It means rather that we have to keep in mind the reasons why we discipline. We don't discipline to have a power trip. We don't discipline to make our children look bad. We discipline to reveal the condition of our children's hearts and the great remedy that they have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what does this look like in the, in the Christian home practically? It means that our commands must not be unnecessarily harsh. It means that our discipline should not be unnecessarily severe. It means we should be consistent in the ways that we respond to disobedience. We, we avoid responding in anger. Paul has already said something about anger in Ephesians chapter 4. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and don't give the devil an opportunity. When we discipline in anger, when we parent in anger, when we respond in anger, we're opening up the door for Satan to wreck what the Spirit of God wants to do in our home. Not provoking to anger means we need to live out the life that we are coaching our kids toward. It means we can't be hypocritical. 
It means the gospel that we're teaching our children needs to be the gospel that our children are seeing in our own lives. It means that we avoid questions like this. What's wrong with you? Or why do you act like that? Or don't you know any better? These aren't helpful questions to ask our children because they're not pointing our children to the right remedy. The remedy to their disobedience doesn't come from themselves. The remedy to their disobedience comes from the living Lord Jesus Christ who alone can change the heart. So instead of asking, what's wrong with you? Or don't you know any better? Here's some perhaps better questions. I like to ask questions like this. Did that response please Jesus? Did that action or that comment or that look at your brother or sister demonstrate love? What would have been a more Christ-like way to handle that situation? Those are some helpful questions that you can ask in the home. The key to not provoking our children to anger is expecting obedience as we love them to Jesus, spending quality time with them, and living out the gospel that we confess. Now understand, parents are not going to do this perfectly. I have failed in my parenting in the Christian home. There have been times that I have gotten frustrated. There have been times that I have spoken before I should have spoken. And the way that I deal with that is almost as important as everything else I'm going to tell you. You've got to quickly confess your sin, repent of it, and ask forgiveness from your children. Living out the gospel before our children is half our responsibility. But we must also teach the gospel so that our children will know that it is okay and it is good to turn from sin, to trust in Christ, and to walk in faith. And after we saturate our home with an environment that is not prone to anger, the next thing we have to do, and we must not forget, is the next command. We must bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Literally, we must nourish them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Discipline instruction means the content of the gospel and the correction that comes from the gospel. It's information and it's correction. Notice it's not the discipline and instruction of their favorite sport. It's not the discipline and instruction of music or dance or golf or baseball or football or basketball or entertainment or camping or scouting. All of those things can be wonderful platforms for getting the gospel into the lives of our children, but we cannot let those things replace the need to teach our kids the gospel. The goal of Christian parenting is nourishing our children in the gospel. It's giving them the information and the course corrections they need to be empowered by the Spirit of God to live on mission with Christ. O'Brien says this, Learning Christ and being instructed in the truth that is in Jesus occurs not just at the church building, but also and particularly within the family. So this morning, moms and dads that are out there on this Mother's Day, I want to take an opportunity to think about our homes. If you're a child who is listening, maybe with your mom right beside you or your dad right beside you, I want you to remember, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. If you're a grown child, I want to remind you that not just on Mother's Day or Father's Day, but every day is a day 
to honor your parents by living for Jesus and leading your own children and your own grandchildren to take steps toward Christ. And finally, I want to challenge the dads who are out there today. There are dads tuning in. Your wives might be tuning in with you. And the reality is, in our culture, in our day, a lot of dads aren't stepping up. They aren't leading in the home. And your wife could use your support. So I want to encourage fathers out there today. Maybe this Mother's Day, the greatest gift that you could give your wife is a commitment to lead an Ephesians 6, 1 through 4 kind of home. That you're going to be faithful to be in church with your wife and your family. That you're going to be faithful to lead in prayer at the dinner table and to maybe even take some steps toward reading the Bible in the home. That you're going to be the kind of father who helps your wife be the kind of mother that God is calling her to be and the children that God is calling them to be. Wherever you are this morning, I don't know that we'll ever have another Mother's Day with families seated in their homes all tuning in at the same time. But I think it's a holy opportunity for us to reconsider God's design for the Christian home and for us to be committed together to raise our families and to live our lives in obedience to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Moms, God bless you. Thank you for your investment in your children. Thank you for raising children to be champions of the gospel. I pray for each and every one of you that it will be said, as the Apostle John said to the church, he said this, I want to read this verse for you, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Excuse me, verse 4. I have no greater joy than this to hear of my children walking in the truth. May that be said in the Christian homes represented by North Roanoke Baptist Church. Would you pray with me? God in heaven, thank you for moms. Thank you for the privilege of hearing your word and your investment in us, your reminder to us of how we live out the gospel in our Christian home. Holy Spirit of God, we cannot do it unless we're filled by You. So God, rid us of selfishness, rid us of pride and of sin and of anger, and God, fill us with Your presence such that we can have Christian homes that display the glory of Christ in the Roanoke Valley. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.